Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Bridgewater Church and this incredible time that we can spend together digging into God's Word. And we're into the third week of a series called Worth the Wait. We're looking at four specific events that take place during what is known as Holy Week or the Passion of the Christ. Each of these four separate moments are essential to our faith in God. And if you are trying to figure out who God is, these four life-changing events during the week that would change all of history are also important mile markers to understand who Jesus really is. And what I find so fascinating in this story is That before anyone knew how the story would unfold, everyone questioned if what was happening was worth the wait. I can relate to that in my own life because there was a season when I was trying to accomplish and complete a master's in ministry. I wanted my higher education for years. But because of the demands of life and raising a family, it was difficult for me to actually take the time. But one day I finally said, enough's enough. I, I need to do it. And I started working. But there were interruptions. You can understand that. I mean, life brings curveballs that you never expect. And so I actually moved to Ohio. And I put my master's on hold. Then a little bit later, I started again, but my wonderful wife had surgery, and I was trying to navigate all of that, and I finally said, I just can't finish my last class. But it was my son, Matthew, who said, Dad, I'm driving in from where he was living at the time. He took up office residence for a week, and he said, you are going to finish your master's program. And I can tell you, the day that I walked across the stage with my wife and all of my children present, I can tell you it was worth the wait. Now, wrap your mind around the fact that this is the Sunday on the calendar that we celebrate Palm Sunday. The day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey And this was the day when palm branches were being waved. Words were said, shouted above the noise of the crowd. People were saying, here comes the Lamb of God. Glory to God in the highest. It was an exciting moment. But it wouldn't take but just a few short days for everything to shift and begin to change. And remember, people don't understand all of the 
the things that are happening, how do each and every event connect with one another? And the question that was on people's mind, maybe a question they didn't even know how to verbalize, is this all worth the wait? Our journey began in a place called the Upper Room. It was an unforgettable but disturbing dinner. The next scene we encountered was a dramatic denial by Peter and the disciples. This morning it's time to embrace, I'm going to call it the most horrific of all worth-the-wait moments as we watch Jesus die a dreadful death on the cross. Now there's a couple of things I want to prepare you for. First, we're reading a great deal of Scripture because we want to grab and understand, wrap our minds around the entire flow of the story and how Jesus' death on the cross came to be. I also want to give you this warning or insight that what I'm going to describe is graphic. The death of Jesus on the cross was not a romantic poem. It wasn't a myth, a story, or a legend. This is true, what is taking place. And I want to share with you this morning four truths about Jesus' death that emerge as we begin reading Matthew chapter 27. Let's look at verses 15 through 26. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of selfish interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked, and they all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that Instead, an uproar was starting. He took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Our first truth is this. Preparing for the cross 
Jesus endures. Pilate sits on the judgment seat at the place John calls the stone pavement. He wants to let Jesus go. Even his wife has been bombarded in a dream. This man is innocent. She sends Pilate a note. Pilate wants to follow through and release Jesus the Messiah, but the Jewish leaders rouse the crowd. They began to shout, crucify him. That Palm Sunday message, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, turns into shouts of death. Crucify him. Pilate releases Barabbas and sends Jesus to be flogged. Now, oftentimes in moments like this, church, we hear things like the detail of what is to come, but we don't really see what everyone saw in the moment. I want to try to paint this devastating picture for us. It begins by understanding that there were two types of scourging, Jewish and Roman. In Jewish law, it was stipulated that the victim could not receive more than 40 lashes. The Jews would stop short of 40, not wanting to be found disobedient in God's eyes due to a possible miscount of the blows to the body. So a decision is made. Jesus will be flogged. He's stripped and tied to a low stone column. The lictor, or as he was known, the torturer, steps forward with a flagellum, a whip in his hand. He begins to strike the blows on Jesus' body. The heavy whip is brought down with a full force, and it cuts through the skin on Jesus' shoulders and back at first. But as the jolts of the whip continue, they cut deeper into the tissues, producing first an oozing of blood. And then an artery is hit. And blood begins to spurt from his muscles. Why is it so devastating, this flogging? Why is it so cruel? Well, these strips of leather are embedded with lead or bone in them. The whipping continues. Soon, it's just strips of flesh that begin to hang off of Jesus' body. He becomes an unrecognizable mass of a human being. You would think it was so horrific that they would stop, but you see, that's how they punished people so often in that day. People watching, the onlookers would realize this is how it is. When the Roman centurion in charge of the detail felt that the prisoner was almost near death, he would stop. And finally, for Jesus, the whipping, the horror of this cat of nine tails ends. He's released from the whipping post and 
slumps to the pavement, wet in his own blood. And our first truth is difficult to wrap our minds around. Preparing for the cross, Jesus endures. In Hebrews chapter 4, 15 through 16, we read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. It's essential to realize the crushing condition of Jesus' body, mind, and heart. Equally important is to understand that regardless of the struggles you and I are facing, there is a Savior who realizes, he knows what pain feels like. If Jesus can endure such agony for us, sinless as he was, I'm telling you, church, we can trust him. It's a difficult moment. It's a dreadful death that is coming. Is it worth the wait? Let's go to the next scene, equally difficult. Matthew 27, 27 through 31. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robes and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Here's our next truth. Accepting the cross, Jesus waits. I need us to really understand this. I, I need us to understand why this journey is worth the wait, but we can't without the pain and the suffering that Jesus goes through. In this moment, after the scourging and the flogging, how in the world does someone endure the pain, even though he's totally divine, he is totally and equally human? And I believe it's in this moment where Jesus accepts the cross that's waiting for him. Somehow, he's still awake. Somehow, he's propped up. There's a whole company of soldiers. Some scholars think some 600 men who gather around him to mock him viciously. They are degrading one that has been called king of the Jews and three tools of torture become for us symbols of our faith. The first is the robe. It's called a chalmus in the Greek. It's a short cloak that's worn 
over the shoulders. See, what has really happened is Jesus has been stripped naked. And now they throw a robe over his shoulders. Can you imagine the pain? His body doesn't even know how it can stand. And this robe is not a source of comfort, but of humility. Then there's the crown. It was woven out of thorns and then pushed onto Jesus' head. Streams of blood would flow from his scalp because our scalps are some of the most tender areas with vessels near the surface. And the blood of Jesus begins to run down his face. But it gets worse because they take a staff. They're mocking him as a king. They're mocking him with a scepter, so to speak. Hail, king of the Jews, they say. They're flamboyant. They kneel. They ridicule him. And then they take what is unimaginable to me. And they take the staff and just slam him on the head. Not only is it painful, I'm sure causing some type of a concussion, but it also drives the crown of thorns deeper into his scalp. Jesus is guiltless of any crime. Someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. But for now, Jesus is tortured for you and for me. He took our place. Truth number two comes sailing across the echoes of time. Accepting the cross, Jesus waits. There's new meaning for me that comes to my mind from the familiar verse in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 30 through 31. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Jesus endured our pain, our suffering, the torture of the flogging, the robe, the crown, the staff to remind us when we feel that we are at our weakest moment, he understands. I don't know what God is asking you to accept. A family problem, a loss of a loved one, a health issue, a broken relationship, a prayer yet to be answered. But I can tell you this, a soldier's robe became the robe of an undefeated prince of peace. The crown of thorns became the royal crown for the king of kings. And a staff became a royal scepter of the only one in all of history who could and would defy death. Don't give up. He's worth the wait. Our third truth in the story of a dreadful death is found in Matthew 27, 
32 through 44. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down from this cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God, let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Our third truth. Dying on a cross, Jesus forgives. A detail of soldiers take Jesus to Golgotha. It's known as the place of the skull. We call it Calvary. Jesus is redressed in his own clothes. The robe is painfully put on his back, his own robe from the beginning of this nightmare. Then a heavy cross piece, a six-foot piece of wood, is strapped to his arms and his back because he had to carry it himself. Now the place of the skull was outside the city. Jesus makes it all the way to the gate. I'm shocked. I don't understand it. He's made it this far. How? He's too weak to carry it anymore. And scripture tells us a North African named Simon of Cyrene is forced to help Jesus and assume the load. Maybe he volunteered, but more than likely, he was forced into submission, unsympathetic to Jesus' plight. As Jesus moves toward his final destination, as the cross awaits him, you can read around his neck a plaque that's been put on him. And as he passes by, you'll read it in Greek, and you'll read it in Latin, you'll read it in Aramaic. This is the king of the Jews. It's a primitive social media opportunity that Pilate uses to remind the Jewish leaders that all the blame is theirs to share. Irreversibly, the moment arrives. There are two reasons that the gospel writers say so little about the details of the crucifixion. First, it's agonizing. They don't want to have to relive the moments. But two, it was commonplace. People understood what crucifixion mean as they were writing this. Others were still dying in the same way. But don't let this escape us. Deuteronomy chapter 21, 23 says, anyone who is hanged on a tree is under God's curse. 
for the Jews. They wanted Jesus to die on a cross because they wanted to try and persuade everyone that God had cursed him. The Jews wanted to discredit Jesus, but the plan of God will not fail. It didn't fail then, and it won't fail now. Jesus' death on the cross is essential to the plan of redemption for each of us. The curse would be removed because Jesus wasn't just any person. He is the Son of the living God, and He humbles Himself before the world. Jesus is, in fact, the suffering servant who would become the long-awaited Savior. Jesus would die, and we have to ask, is it worth the wait? I'm reminded of Pastor John Stott's words from long ago. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it is as something done by us. We might want to believe we wouldn't have done this. We might want to believe we would have stopped everything and gotten in the way, even if we were going to die for Jesus. So he wouldn't have to die for us. But it's the plan. It has to happen. A sacrificial lamb must die in our place. So Jesus hangs on the cross. All the passers-by mock him. The Jewish leaders bask in the moment saying, Save yourself. Come down and we will believe. They would finally be rid of this troublemaker. This radical now, obviously, some people came along just for the show, and don't forget the, sh uh, the soldiers. The Roman soldiers stayed because they knew death could take a long time, days even, for some. So they gambled for Jesus' clothes. Finally, Jesus speaks his words that actually, in my mind, become a prayer that echoes throughout history. It's unbelievable. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Dying on a cross, dying in the midst of his own death, Jesus remembers those who have placed him there in the last few hours and minutes. And Jesus forgives. How can a man, let alone the Savior of the world, willingly forgive those who kill him? You know the verse that is fulfilled, it comes to mind, it shouts at us through time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Dying on a cross, Jesus forgives because of love. We're all sinners, we all need grace. There isn't a person alive, especially the ones that don't believe there is a God. The atheist, the agnostic, who thinks maybe there is a God. There isn't a single person in the entire world that doesn't need forgiveness. And it's beautiful when we receive forgiveness from one another. But I'm talking about forgiveness all to the very depths of our soul. Forgiveness for our sins. A price had to be paid. Who's going to pay it? Only Jesus is able to forgive. Let's finish the story. Matthew 27, 
45 through 54. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lema, Sabbathetani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him, those who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Here's our last truth. Dying on a cross, Jesus pays it all. We cannot begin to imagine the excruciating pain Jesus endures on our behalf. He's accepted the cross. Jesus has forgiven. But now the minutes tick off the clock. It's time for Jesus, physically in this moment, to die. Every movement cuts deeper into the tendon, raw muscle and bone. Fever inevitably sets in, flaming the wounds and causing a great thirst. In time, I'm sure insects found their way to Jesus' body. He can't do a thing about his pain. He can't do anything about the flies that are on him. He can't do anything about anything. And so Jesus waits. He waits for this humane exhibition of humanity's hatred to end. From 12 to 3, darkness fills the land. Now here's the reason for that. The Heavenly Father God has to turn away from sin. Jesus has accepted the sin of the world on himself. Satan is livid. The Jewish people want it to be over. God, the Father, must turn away because of the sin that rests on the Son. Jesus feels alone and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sky is dark, the heavens are still, and the angels are silent. The judgment of the world is taking place as Jesus hangs on the cross. And even though you and I weren't alive yet, we were real to Jesus Christ in that moment. He was dying for us. He was taking our sins on to himself so that the plan of our salvation could unfold. One last shout remains in his breath. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Jesus is dead. The curtain at the temple tears in two. 
tombs open up as the earth shakes. And we're told that holy people, the spirit of those who have believed in God's plan, go into the holy city of Jerusalem and they begin to share the message of freedom. It's commonplace for soldiers to come and try to break the legs of those on the cross so that they can't hold themselves up and death will come sooner as their weight crushes their lungs and they can no longer breathe. They come and break the legs of the thieves on the cross, but Jesus is already dead. Scripture has told us before it would happen. To make sure, to be confident, they take a spear and one Roman soldier jams it in the side of Jesus. We're told that waterish blood flows from the wound, indicating that Jesus is dead. Truth number four permeates all of history. Dying on a cross, Jesus pays it all. Do you realize this morning that the story of this dreadful death and this entire unfolding of the most glorious, worth-the-wait moment is still real, it's still true, it's accurate. Jesus is alive. Many people don't believe in God because they say none of this can be real. I want to tell you there's too many witnesses, too much historical evidence, too much of the divine miraculous taking place to simply say it's not true. And so therefore we say Jesus died a dreadful death. What do we do now? Would the next few days be worth the wait? I recall the words of a simple hymn. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole. Is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. It's a dreadful death, but there's meaning in it. Jesus in this moment is dead, but the story isn't complete. But for today, this moment for us this morning, the question is, do we believe that Jesus died for us. He's paid the price for all our sin. I want to pray right now and I want to invite you to do that with me. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, I want to lovingly tell you He died for you. He took on the burden of your sin so that when we sin, we can be forgiven. He's paid the price. He is the Savior if we'll trust Him. So if you need to, pray that prayer this morning. Just simply say, as I'm praying, Jesus, become my Savior. Enter my heart, I believe. And if you know Jesus is your Savior, this is a time to recommit ourselves, not to an Easter story, but to a story of life, to a story of hope, to a story that can change us again and again if we'll keep our eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith.
Let's pray together. Father God, this is a dreadful death, a difficult story. We come to you and ask that you would just energize our thoughts and minds to realize what Jesus did for us was horrific. But it paid the price in complete totality for our sins to be forgiven. If there's a person here this morning that hears my voice and they've heard yours, God, may they just pray the simple prayer if they need you, Jesus, in their heart. Jesus, I believe. Forgive me for my sins and come live inside me. I believe. And for those of us who know Jesus as our Savior, may this be a defining moment to remind us of the great price that's been paid. We can't take it for granted. Help us to continue to put all of our trust and all of our faith in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we often call it Good Friday. There really wasn't anything good about that day, except for the fact that it, it would be the door that leads to the message we'll hear next week on Easter. You're not alone. He understands you. He knows your pain, and he loves you. I love you too. And until we see each other again, take heart and be transformed. Hey friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus Christ.